Amen. Before we get into the Word today, we have the special privilege of bringing Stefan Angeloni and dedicating him to the Lord. So if his parents will bring Stefan out here. <laughs> there he is. Hey, buddy. Come here. Show people how cute you are. Oh, yeah. Look at this guy. <laughs> he and mommy are going to be heading out to go to Poland where he was going to meet all his relatives. And so the next time we see him in a few months at the end of the year, um, he'll be too big for me to carry the way he's growing. Yeah. <laughs> so this is it. Let's bring a little stuff into the Lord. God, we thank you for this great little kid. He's so fun. He's so interested in what's going on, learning, processing so much. And Lord, I just pray that your hand will always be on him as the desire of his parents is for him to grow up always knowing that you love him and always walking in fellowship with you, Lord. Just do that work by your spirit. Help him to just always understand who he is to you and what you've done for him. Lord, as he and his mom head over to Poland for a few months, I just pray that you'll go with them, give them a safe journey, help this to be just a special time of him being blessed as the other side of his family gets to know him and, and he gets spoiled by them. Lord, I pray that that will just all feel secure and like a blessing, that you'd really minister to them during that time and to his dad while he's back here working and, and waiting for him to get back, Lord. Just bless this family. Help them to have a great end of this year. Bring them back together safely and quickly. Lord, we just thank you again for Stefan. And as you have given him to us, we give him back to you. We acknowledge that he is your child. He's a gift from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Here you go, buddy. Here's your certificate. <laughs> All right. God bless you guys. See you, buddy. Bye. <laughs> and now let's turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. As we're starting into a, a series as we're going through the book of 1 John. I'm really excited about this. There's so much good in the book of 1 John. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible, and I think it'll become one of yours as you just spend some time reflecting on what John is addressing to us. It's written by the Apostle John, the same guy that wrote the Gospel of John, the same guy that wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the same guy that wrote the book of Revelation. He lived with Jesus, had that experience for three years, was one of his closest disciples, was, was a guy who ultimately his identity was centered around the fact that he was a disciple who Jesus loved. And that's a nice way to see yourself. He understood that Jesus loved him and, and was, had a special relationship with Jesus. At the Last Supper, he was the one who was lying right against Jesus, leaning on him, closest to him. And so you get the feeling as you read what John has to say that he wants us to understand that closeness. I've entitled the message this morning from 1 John chapter 1, What's Wrong With My Life and How I Can Make It Right? Because in this first chapter, John just lays it out for us in such a, an amazingly clear way. When things go wrong, here's why. Here's how things get messed up. And this is true whether we have been Christians who put faith in Christ for our whole, you know, our whole lives, or whether we've never come into any kind of a relationship with the Lord. <clears throat> the source of each of our problems and the solution to those problems is found right here in this chapter. So if you don't want your life to be such a mess, if you want to figure out, okay, what's this all about? This chapter is vitally important to you and, and is so much so that I encourage people to memorize. It's just 10 verses, but to really learn this and then to make it a part of our lives is so vitally important. So pay attention to this passage, and I think that 
God can use it to really turn things around for you. That's what he wants to do. In the first four verses, before getting into what's wrong with my life, what John does is describe what life is supposed to be. He paints the picture for here is life. Here's how it works. Here's what it's supposed to look like. And just lays some of the groundwork toward everything else that he's going to say. So let's begin reading with verse 1. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Now let's stop there. What John is saying here is, what I'm talking to you about is not some mystical, religious relationship. This is not some kind of mythological way of getting past life. He says, what I'm talking about is life itself. This is what life is about. And he said, I figured out when I lived with Jesus Christ, and I heard him, and I touched him before and after his death and resurrection, and I am telling you that everything that life is about is connected to him and about being connected to him. John often spoke of this. You know, in, in the Gospel of John, when he started out telling the story about Jesus, who he called the Word, the Logos, he said, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was nothing made that was made. And then he says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. John there said, look, this is what life is about. It's embodied in this person that I call the Word. It's embodied in Jesus Christ. And here he would say, I touched him. I, I, I felt him. I was with him. I saw him. We, we ate with him. We had this connection with him. He's real. And this relationship is something that is real. Jesus himself, you know, said talked about in John's third, uh, the third chapter of the Gospel of John, when he was talking to Nicodemus, he, he wound up the discussion by saying that knowing me is life. Later on in John chapter 10 and verse 10, he said, the thief has come to steal and kill and to destroy, but I came that you would have life, and that more abundantly, super incredibly. I came that your life would be just amazing. And so John is saying everything that there is to life has something to do with our relationship with him. And as he talks about this fellowship, he said, I'm letting you know this because I have a fellowship with the Lord that I want you to have with him and together with us. If life is about anything, it's about connection. It's about being connected to others and being connected to God. As soon as we begin to isolate ourselves, we lose a lot of what life is about. And so this life of fellowship, this life of reality, of having a legitimate and a real connection with God, and an understanding that my life is blessed and full and it's happening the way it's supposed to, it's abundant. He says, that's what I'm trying to talk to you about. That's really what I'm trying to communicate here. And he says, as we saw there in verse 4, and I'm writing this to you so that your joy may be full. Life looks like joy when you're doing it right. And life also looks like koinonia, fellowship, connection. That when you're doing life right, you find yourself connected to others and together being connected to God in an amazing way. Anything less than that is less than the life that God has for you. 
So right away when we lay out, okay, here's what life is supposed to be, we look at our own lives, we look in the mirror and go, oh, shoot, it's not working this way for me. I'm not sensing this abundant, superabundant life. It's not happening for me. Something's in the way. And that's exactly what John is trying to get at. He lays out first, here's life in Christ. This is what it's like. So that then we go, well, uh, excuse me, how do I get there from here? How do I go from where I am to move in that direction? And that's what the next six verses are about. And that's what he really wants to share with us. And there are some things that we have to understand And there are some decisions that we make and things that we need to do in order to discover life, in order to come into legitimate relationships, in order to to find that connection with him and with each other that he wants us to have. And so beginning with verse 5, he says, okay, here's what I'm trying to say. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now he's going to go on and make it a little more clear what he's saying, but so often we take this metaphor of light and darkness and we water it down into some either a legalistic sort of thing like, oh, walking in light is about doing what's right, so we need to just make ourselves do what's right. Walking in darkness is just kind of doing bad things or doing what we want to do, but he's being much more literal than that as we're going to see. There's a choice, though, with our lives. And walking in the light is having our eyes open. Walking in the light is seeing reality. That's why he said Jesus is real. Our hands handled him. We touched him. We were connected with him. And when he talks about walking in light, he's talking about facing reality, living life with your eyes wide open. The alternative to that, walking in darkness, is closing your eyes to reality, is denying that which is obvious, that which is there, that which is plaguing us and robbing us of life. And so he goes, you have to have a choice. You either want to deal in light or you can live in denial. And he goes on in these next few verses to make the distinction really clear as to how that works. But there's laid out for us a choice. You can live one way or the other. You can either live in the light, dealing with reality, or you can live in the darkness and go into denial. Now, there are a lot of reasons why people close their eyes to reality. Some good reasons, some understandable reasons, but as we read on, we kind of see him bring this out. In verse 6, he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, to say that you're a Christian, to say that you are God's person, to say that you are, yeah, Jesus, that's me, got the bumper stickers, got the jewelry, got the shirt, and, and, to, you know, and to actually still live in denial, you're fooling yourself. He goes, I'm calling you to something that's real, and it really is life. It really is vibrant. It really is fulfilling. And to live your life in darkness is to not be connected to him. We're lying. We don't practice the truth. But, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now he's getting down to what he is saying. Jesus dying for us makes it possible for us to come into the light. It's the one thing that sets us on a path whereby we can move toward the light, we can come into reality, we can accept things the way that they are because he has that which will heal. That word for cleanse is a word, catharizo, which we talk about cathartic, catharsis as being something that's purifying and healing. We come to that, we allow him to fix that which is wounded within us so that we can finally look at it. Have you ever been in a place where something is hurt and you're afraid to look at it? 
you cover it up. I, I remember one time years ago, I was over, a bunch of our kids from the school there at Calvary were camping out on Catalina. And I thought it was fun. Another guy and I took a couple of ski boats over to let the kids ski during the day. And after we finished with that, it was a lot of fun, um, one of the girls asked me, junior high girl asked me to play ping pong with her to be on her team. And they had these outdoor ping pong tables made out of concrete, and the paddles were aluminum and sharp, as it turns out, on the edge. Well, she was to my left, and somebody set me up with a perfect high floating ball, and I smashed it. And as I followed through, she was kind of lunging for it, and the paddle hit her eye. And all I saw was blood explode. And I grabbed my shirt, ripped it, and I stuck it on her eye, and I was holding it. And I thought she had lost her eye. And you're in Catalina, way out by the isthmus. What am I going to do? And I just felt horrible. And finally, I got the nerve to uncover it enough to realize, fortunately, it hit under her eye. And I had had my eye cut like that many times from being hit. And it's just, it looks really bad, but... You know, in reality, it's going to be okay, and I realized it. Well, that's a part of what he is saying here is, I know you don't want to look at this, but when you realize what God has done for you, you'll realize that the wound can be cleaned, it can be healed, it will be okay. That's going to happen. You're going to get over this, and this is all about that cleansing that can happen from the hurt, the damage that has been done. Now, it ended up, in her case, um, boy, she had a great shiner. Her eye just looked horrible, and unfortunately, well, back then, I led the singing at Calvary on Sunday mornings, and so you have 3,000 people there, and she was sitting in the front row with a sign that said, look what Dave Rolf did to me. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to concentrate. <laughs> but... Her, she's a beautiful girl today, so she, it worked out and it healed. But what John is saying is there's a connection with Jesus. There's, there's something that we can do that will allow a healing to happen, and we can deal with reality. We can live in the light. We can stop pretending. Basically, every other religion other than the gospel of Jesus Christ is a way of having people pretend that something is true and hoping, hoping that it will be. But they're all about how you act. And that's what it is ultimately as an act. It's being a certain way because then people won't see what's ugly and, and dark inside you. They'll see you with the religious garb and with all of the pretense and then we can all pretend like everything's okay, and, and that's the way we live. It's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that actually comes to us as we are and says, it's okay. You can look at the wound. You can see it, because what he has done for us will allow that to be healed. You can come out of the dark. You know, and again, the denial that comes usually comes honestly, because when we're little children, we don't have many secrets, but eventually we do things that will cause someone to judge us, to make us feel bad about what we've done. And the lesson that we generally learn is, I need to hide this. I need to be sneaky. And so we learn to conceal who we are. Sometimes that happens, sadly, when children growing up are just constantly told that they're a failure that they're never going to amount to anything. And, and when that happens to you, or when you're mistreated and hurt, you, you learn the lesson that, you know what, I don't think that what I really am is very good, so I better start acting differently than I am. Because if I can fake it, I'll be accepted by others. And so much of what society teaches us is that you need to fake it in order to be accepted. But what happens is that covers up a wound that's infected and it festers inside of us and it sucks the life right out of us because the energy that it takes to pretend is just exhausting. It's draining and it takes the joy away and it takes the life away. And John is just saying, no, we can walk in the light as he is in the light. You can open your eyes. You can get out of that fetal position that 
life just beat you up so much that you just hid in the corner and you curled up and you thought that if you closed your eyes, reality would go away. He goes, no, it's safe. You can open your eyes because the blood of Jesus is going to heal you, is going to cleanse you from all sin. One of my favorite words in the Bible is that word all right there in that verse. The idea that there is nothing I can do that he cannot cleanse and heal. There's nothing about the reality of my life that can put me outside the realm of his grace. Uh, you might feel really horrible about some of the things you've done in life. And I, and I would just say to you, is the sin that you've done included in all sin or isn't it? Because if it is, then he wants to heal you and he will cleanse you of that sin. Now, as soon as you use the word sin, and ultimately that little word sin is the source of what's wrong with my life and yours. It's the problem that continues to, to plague us, to rip us off, to come short of us. And I, and I think often, and I, you know, I hate to be so fundamental, but I think so many times we use a word without really understanding what it's, what it's truly about. And in this case, that's certainly the case. Often what we think of sin, as soon as we're, oh yeah, okay, my problem is sin, great. I know that. And I'm hiding that and that's just the way it's going to be. But sin does not mean to disobey God's arbitrary laws. That's what we tend to be taught. God decides this is sin and this isn't and you need to do this stuff and not do that stuff. But the word is so much richer than that. The word hamartia in the Greek, which is the word that's used for sin here, um, generally the standard theological definition is to miss the mark. But it's actually a deeper word than that. The, it, the first part of the word, the A at the beginning, it has a, 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 an understood H that comes from the punctuation, but it's A which means not in the Greek. Every time there's an A in front of a word, it means not that. And, and then the martia comes from the Greek word martos, and what, or meros, and what meros means is, in its basic form, it's your part, your share. Um, sometimes it's translated destiny. The idea is there is something that is there for you. The pie has been cut up, and here's your piece. Here's your part, here's your destiny, Here's your life. And sin is not that. Sin is anything that we do, anything that we permit, anything that we even think of that robs us of our destiny. Anything that takes us away from that for which we were created. And so when we miss the blessing that God has for us, when we, when we don't live the life that he has given to us and promised for us, that is what hamartia means. No destiny, either no plan, no fulfillment, doing things that rip us off from that which he wants to do. There's nothing better than to discover what you're here for. There's nothing better than to find your life and go, this is it. I'm so happy when I'm doing this. I'm, I'm, so, I'm feeling finally like my life is coming together. Well, that's what the Bible would call your plan. That's what the Bible would call your meros. And sin is when you violate that and you instead opt for a life that robs you of who you really are. And does that make sense? But that's what he is saying, that coming into the light and facing who we are, and being honest about what we do that robs us of that which God wants to do in our life, the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us, can heal us from that. And then he's going to explain in a moment how it works. But he goes on and says in verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's why it's called walking in darkness. Because I am living in denial. I am, I am doing something other than taking responsibility for what I am doing 
that is coming, causing me to miss my destiny. And it, it, it's, it's natural and normal for people to live in denial. Because again, often from when we're small, we're made to feel like it's not okay to be honest. When we're honest, we get in trouble for it. When we speak the truth, we're reprimanded. And some of that is kind of necessary to learn how to get by in society. I mean, I've used the illustration before, and I can say it because my son's in Costa Rica right now, but when William was really small, he would just, he was so honest. He still is. But we were in Costco one time, and he goes, Dad, look how fat that lady is, really loud. And I couldn't say she's not fat because we were trying to get by her and it wasn't working in a Costco aisle of all. But it's like I had to kind of explain to him, you're right, but we don't say those kinds of things. Well, in a hundred different ways, we program ourselves away from the truth. And a part of that is because when we speak the truth, it seems to get us into trouble. And And even when we come clean about what we've done, that in itself becomes, you know what? That's the last time I'm going to be honest. That's the last time I'm going to be open. And so I learned to deny. When people don't accept me the way I am, when I act like myself, and that brings rejection, it teaches me, don't be yourself. This is something I have to deal with. And you know, you understand as a pastor, there are a whole lot of people that listen to what I say and some of it goes out on the radio and everything. And once in a while, I just have this burst of honesty. <laughs> and I try to be honest, don't get me wrong, but I'm not faking it. But I hold back so much because I realize if I'm just completely frank all the time, I'll be talking to myself. Because people just don't want to deal with reality. I can argue, and the fact is what I'm saying is completely accurate, but people don't want to hear it. And that's just the way society is, let's face it. And a part of why society is that way is because we are all walking with our eyes squinting or closed. We've already learned, man, the truth hurts. Life really, you know, it's, it's bad. And so let's just all pretend like it's not. And you pretend like when, when I say that, oh, you look great today, let's just pretend like I really mean it. <laughs> when you ask me, does this make me look fat? Just say, oh, no. I mean, don't say the truth. No, it's, the clothes have nothing to do with you looking fat. But, you know, we... <laughs> See, you hate me already. So I'm not going to say that again. So that's how life works. We go, let's make a gentleman's agreement that we will all close our eyes. But what happens when everybody closes their eyes? We start banging into each other. It doesn't lead to fellowship. It doesn't lead to connection. And sadly, it ends up blocking our connection to God as well. Because now we are living a phony life. Now we are just pretending. And the truth is, the place that God has for us, the place of reality, is in that spot where our eyes are opened, where we understand it is safe to be honest. It's safe to be real. It's something that we have to do because the darkness, the ignorance, is our enemy. And the light and the truth is where we find God. And so, as, as John says, hey, if we say that we have no sin, we're fooling ourselves. The truth is not in us. That's the, one of the things about denial. Denial causes us to fool ourselves. And self-deception is the worst deception of all. To live your life not even knowing who you are because you've been so afraid to look in the mirror to be honest about yourself, that anyone who even calls attention to something that reminds you of who you are, you push them away. Because the last thing I want to hear is the truth about me. Well, our deliverance comes in the truth about us. Because as it turns out, the truth about us, our own sin, 
is the very answer to how to deal with it and to how to have it go away and to how to be healed from it. But we go into denial, we fool ourselves. Now he goes on, and in verse 9, he lays out the real solution, and this is the center of the chapter. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We'll come back to that in a moment, but verse 10 says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Verse 8 and verse 10 sandwich verse 9. Verse 8 says, if you are living in denial, if you're sticking your head in the sand about your own condition, you're deceiving yourself. And verse 10 says, it's actually worse than that. Because if you are living in denial, if you don't take responsibility for what you're doing, if all you do is defend yourself constantly or blame others for why you are the way that you are and you don't understand your own contribution, then you're just calling God a liar. You're deceiving yourself, and ultimately it's worse than that. God says that you have missed. God says that you are coming short of the destiny that he has created for you. And if you deny that, you're denying him. You're saying God's a liar. If God's a liar, leave now. Why spend a moment listening to God's word if he lies? If he tells the truth, he says, you are the worst enemy of yourself. And it's that self-deception and that failure to recognize that you're the one who's missing it. You're the one who is coming short of the destiny that God has for you. Understanding that is key. Now, if that's all it said and verse 9 wasn't there, we'd just all go away going, okay, it's my fault, I get it. I'm not going to complain anymore because I did this. Now, first, let me make it clear. It doesn't mean it's all your fault. There are a whole lot of people who have messed you up. There are a whole lot of things that have happened to you in your control and out of your control that defined you in a disruptive way, that led you to become a person who feels like I just can't open my eyes. I can't deal with the pain. There's a wound there that I can't uncover. I don't want to do this. Yeah, um, we all have things in our background that has contributed to that state. However, the only one that can get you out of that is you, as you open your eyes and choose to live in the light and deal with the reality of your life. Um, that's not going to change what's happened to you, but that's going to put you on the path to your destiny. That's going to take away those things that stop you from getting your part from playing your part, from being in the role that God has designed for you. And the key is in verse 9. If we confess our sins. We talked about what sins are. It's that which is not our destiny, that which is not our call, that which is not our place. But what does it mean to confess? We tend to have a weird idea of confession. A lot of times... People think of confession as being, I need to say how sorry I am, and I need to really act like I mean it. I need to cry and weep and make a big deal, but that's not what the word means. The word confess, and you know, it, the, the Greek word for confession is homo legeo. Legeo is the Greek, is the verb form of the word logos, which is word. So legeo means to speak or to say. And homo, the prefix, is the Greek word that means the same. The Greek word homo, we use it in things like home and garden television. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> thanks for getting it. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the idea, homo legeo, or con, con, confession, is, I hear people laughing, like, oh, I didn't. But it's the, homo legeo means to say the same thing to speak similarly, to speak alike. And all confession is, is to admit that what you do is what God says it is. To admit, to face, to shine the light on your life and to say, I am missing the mark. I am missing the goal. 
I am not living the life that he has for me because I am doing things that constantly defeat that which God wants to do in my life. Confessing sin. It's so healthy for us to come to him and to say, God, you are right. Now, as long as we defend what we're doing, we can never be free from it. If you continue to do the kind of behavior that is destroying you, which is what another way of describing sin, you just go, I'm just going to keep doing this. Well, it's not going to get better. If you go to the doctor and you have a big lump on your head, and he goes, how did this happen? And you say, well, every day when I get up, I just kind of beat my head in the wall to wake myself up. The doctor's going to go, oh, beating your head on the wall is what's making that big lump on your head. Now, you can admit that, but if you really admit it and you go, that's the problem and it's really not worth, there's probably other ways to wake me up, like a cold shower, that will work better than banging my head on the wall. Now, to just understand that and admit that, that's my problem, that's what confession is. It means I say the same thing. Now, Coming clean in confession is something that we know. We hear the word confess, and usually right away we think of, especially if you've been in the Catholic Church and stuff, they have something called a confessional, whereby regularly you're supposed to come and you get in a little booth and and there's a screen between you and the priest, and you tell them what you've been doing, and they proclaim, you know, that you are forgiven. And that, uh, it started out, and, and probably for some people, it's still a good thing. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another. So there's something good about that tradition, for sure. Um, however, the truth is that if you're confessing anonymously, it's kind of... And I know, and I talked to us, talking to a friend of mine last week who's a Catholic, and he was saying, I go, do you go to confession? And he goes, yeah, but what I do is I go to a church a long ways away that... <laughs> They don't know me, and you know. But that's kind of not the idea. Now, the Bible says to confess your faults one to another, but confession is first and foremost admitting it to God. However, it is, it is good to admit it to someone else too, and that is to say, let me tell you something. I realize what I'm doing, and it's really messing me up. But the reason why that became a function of a church official is because it gets harder and harder to find people who are safe to confess things to. Because the whole purpose of confession is to come to someone that you know, you're assured that when you tell them what you've done, that they are going to embrace you and say, God has forgiven you. Jesus died for that. His blood cleanses us from all sin, and so you're clean of that. The reason why we don't confess, the reason why we hide our sin and walk in darkness with our eyes closed is because many of us have never met anyone that we know of who are completely safe to confess to, unless it's someone like a priest who's bound by law to maintain that penitential privilege that the law defines. The truth is, every Christian should be safe. Everyone who understands God's grace, I mean, the church should be a place whereby I can say exactly who I am, exactly what I've done, and I'm surrounded by people who go, that's okay. Man, you confessed it, and he says he forgives it. That word for forgive means he puts it away. He takes it and he places it somewhere else. It's gone. And yet, the truth is, we're really hurting for finding relationships that give us that opportunity, that allow us the freedom to say, okay, I'm going to stop pretending, and I'm going to start being real, and I'm going to take a chance. How's that going to go? And we've all been burned when we do that, and I understand that. And I, and I think we have to be careful to find someone in our life who I can say, look, here's what I did, and I know they're going to respond with grace. It's so safe to do it. If I don't find that, if I don't understand that God is there for me in that way, and I don't find other people who are, 
I'm closing my eyes and I'm walking in darkness and I'm banging into everybody else and all of my relationships will be affected by it because I'm wearing a mask and I'm faking it. And, and John's heart is to say, you don't have to live that way. You can stop pretending. Now, if it's true that we all need to find someone who we know their default response is going to be grace and forgiveness, how much more important it is for us to be that person? How much, how much more important it is for me to be the kind of person that people know if they come and tell me something that they are doing that is disrupting God's plan in their life to know that I'm not going to nail them, I'm not going to give them 10 other verses why they should feel bad, I'm not going to make them feel inferior, but when they come to me, they know that I'm going to go, I'm so glad you shared that with me. That's awesome. Because, man, we've all done stuff like that. But the Bible says, you just confessed it. You were just open about it. You agreed. And now God's cleansed you. You start fresh. Life starts today. And that's such a glorious privilege as a Christian. Now, there's a part of us that goes, I don't want to be that kind of person because I don't want to have to hear everybody's dirt. But if you understand the reality of the gospel, you'll find out that the greatest privilege in your life is to declare God's grace and forgiveness to someone who desperately needs it. To see the look in their face when that fear and anxiety, when they're just being eaten up by their sin, that is just lifted. And they're so surprised but so blessed that we responded in the way in which we did. It's one of the great privileges of life. If we don't have that, then we continue to live in denial, which makes the problem worse. See, when, when we admit it, it changes everything. Now, just saying, okay, I confess it, I agree. Just that act in itself is important, but it doesn't necessarily show a true confession. Confession is something that's deep in terms of conviction. See, for instance, I can tell you that what I did is wrong. It's counterproductive to everything God wants to do in my life. It, for me, is a merhas. It's, it's hamartizo. It's I am sinning. But if I continue to do that constantly, do I really believe that what I'm doing is killing me? Which is what confession is. Ooh, I agree. What I'm doing is killing me. It's like you can see, uh, driving, Ann and I, it was Ann's birthday yesterday, and we went up to the mountains and did a bunch of cool stuff. And as we were driving back, um, there's a big billboard in the, near the Corona Pass that says, the billboard says, it's illegal to drink unless you're 21 or over. And we're going, boy, that cost a lot for that billboard. I wonder if there are a lot of kids out there who drink who had never been told that it's illegal to drink until you're 21. And when they see that sign, they're going to go, you're kidding. <laughs> of course not. But people can understand it's against the law and not understand it's going to ruin your life and with anything that's wrong. I, I, you know, I can sit there and I can know every calorie in everything I eat. I can go to a restaurant and ask for the nutrition guide first. And I can tell you there's this many carbs and this much calories and this much sugar in all this food. And I go, yep, and I'm just going to eat it anyway. Do I understand that's stealing days, months, even years from my life? Do I understand that that's making me sluggish? Do I understand that that's causing me to not enjoy life? Um, I suppose mentally we might say, yeah, I get that. But when do you really understand it? It's when it changes your life. And when we can come clean, when it's in the open, when we walk in the light, we are actually, we become cleansed. Things get better. Do we get perfect? No. But as we continue to confess and admit it, miraculous changes happen in our lives. We begin to do things differently. God doesn't want you to stop sinning so that he'll be happy. God wants us to stop sinning so that we will be happy, so that we will discover life in all of its fullness. And we have to get beyond a mental ascent and get to a place where we go, this is what's killing me. 
This is what's robbing me. This is what's wrong in my life. So often those habits that we pick up are our attempts to satisfy something that only fellowship with God and others can satisfy. And so we find these lousy substitutes that are destructive. It's like being really, really hungry so you eat poison. That doesn't work well. But that's kind of the way we live our lives. But John is saying, no, the key is if we agree that what we are doing is robbing us of our destiny, is robbing us of and standing in the way of us getting our part, contributing our part, and having the life that's abundant, if we understand that, then he is faithful and just to put those sins away from us. And he will heal us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Everything that's broken, everything that's pained, wherever it came from, he wants to remove it. And the question is, is it safe to open our eyes and look in the mirror? Is it safe to share who we really are? And again, I think every one of us needs to have someone because they can depict God for us, somebody in our life, and it may not be the closest person to you in your life, they may not be ready to handle it, but someone who you can say, I know that I can tell them anything and they're going to tell me I'm forgiven. They're going to remind me of God's grace and they're going to say, it's a good thing that this is out in the light. Don't fool yourself anymore. Now, we become that person when we understand what it is to be forgiven. It's really sad and ironic when people who have struggled with something and then finally gain victory over it become really judgmental of people who struggle with the same thing. And a lot of times that's the case. But other times it's that we aren't the safe people to confess to because we're just disgusted by something that someone else did. Our own sin doesn't stink as much because we're used to it, like your own shoes. But, you know, somebody else's, it's like, what? And, you know, I've been shocked by people before, I'm not going to lie. But my goal is to be like my Lord, so that when someone steps out and reveals themselves, that I can just tell them, I have great news for you. You're forgiven. He loves you. Jesus died for that. And he says, what you just did means it didn't happen. It's gone. It's at the bottom of the sea. It's as far as the east is from the west. And that's the glory of what it is to walk with God. And what happens is when there is someone who knows you and still accepts you, fellowship develops. Closeness can happen. And what you will find in that koinonia is not just fellowship with the person. You'll find fellowship with God because we see God in each other. It's why we call our home groups home fellowships. Because you get together with a small group of people. It wouldn't be healthy in a group this size to just go, okay, anybody want to stand up and say your worst sin this week? <laughs> that would probably be too risky. And in fact, when you go to a home fellowship, no one's going to try to drag it out of you. So obviously you've had some problems. You don't seem happy. Not looking so good. What's the deal? Nobody's going to do that, but a really cool thing happens as people begin to relate to each other, they start to feel safe. And I've heard some reports, and I'm so blessed, when after a period of time, after growing together as a group, somebody one week just says, you know what, I have a secret, and I feel like this is a safe place for me to share it, and here's what I'm going, here's what I'm dealing with in my life. That act, if, if we can act in such a way that it's safe to do that, that somebody who's struggling with alcohol can go, I'm really struggling this week. It happened. I've been mean. I, I've been unfaithful. I've done, you know, if we can create the kind of fellowship that makes it safe to do that, we have discovered the key to walking in the light rather than walking in darkness. I can finally stop pretending. And again, not everyone is safe. You watch, if there's somebody that you see judging others, of course, be smart. That's not the person for you to cough it up with. You start with God and you ask him, God, who else out there can I share this with? And they will proclaim your forgiveness. 
And then you walk in that victory. And you'll see it helps a lot to have some accountability like that in having victory over certain sins that we've been keeping so private that our eyes are closed. And, and God is just saying to us, you can look at the wound. You can uncover it. And you're going to see there cleaning that out is going to make you well. It's going to heal you. You're going to be helped by that act because you have been believing that what you're hiding is saving your life when really allowing it to come out in the open is what's going to save your life, is what's going to give you victory over that sin, over that missing the mark. Oh, it always feels so good to get something off your chest with someone who says, come here, and they hug you, and they tell you, you're forgiven. The Bible says that. That's the Christian life. When we do that, we have fellowship with each other. All of a sudden, we're connecting because we can see each other. Our eyes are open. We can stop pretending. And then that fellowship is also with the Father and with His Son, Jesus. We actually interact with the Trinity as we do that with each other, as we walk in the light as He is in the light. And that's the key to life, really. What's wrong with my life, whether I am a Christian or whether I'm not a Christian, what's wrong with my life is right here. It's going into denial and not allowing me to discover my destiny. Doing things that counteract what God wants to do in my life, that's what's called sin. And the way out, confession. See it his way. Realize he knows what he's talking about. Stop pretending Stop covering up for yourself. Just find a safe place to just get it out there. And you will hear from your brother or your sister the proclamation, according to what God says, that sin is gone. It's forgiven. That is a good feeling. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word and for its truth and for its relevance in our lives. We're so sorry when we walk around banging into each other and missing you and living empty, meaningless, sad lives because we haven't figured out the power that there is that comes through walking in the light and being honest about our sin. So God, please help us to receive your forgiveness and grace and confess when we fall short and help us also to be those who love to carry this message of good news to others, to declare to them they can stop living in denial, they can come clean, and forgiveness is right there waiting for them. Help us to be faithful to what the gospel is all about. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.